the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. Looking forward to spending the next hour with you, helping you arrive at financial independence. Everyone works hard and we have a certain kind of retirement in our vision, in our plans for the future. Josh and his team at Aptus help you get there. They help you build financial independence. Their number is 614-917-1040. That's important to know because they offer you a free no-obligation consultation to get to know them. Talk about where we are in investing in this era. There's a lot of volatility out there, a lot of things to keep track of, a lot of things that happen tied to current events. We're going to get into some of that here in the first segment of the show. But you can set up your free no-obligation consultation by calling the office and making your appointment, 614-917-1040. Where is their office? It's in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. And you can also make your appointment at their website, which is aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And Josh, as we sit here on September the 1st, we have the uh, jobs numbers out. And as is often the case, and we've discussed this before, one number looks promising, another number looks like, well, for every good, there's a bad. And I don't know what necessarily these mean or if they make sense or not, but we had 187,000 more jobs, more than expected. But unemployment went up. It was supposed to be 3.5%. It was 3.8%, which is still below the four point the four percent level that I think is full employment or was when I took econ in college. So I'm not sure I can explain how more jobs leads to a higher unemployment rate than expected. Yeah, clear as mud, right? Yeah. And I feel like sometimes as we're looking at these statistics and we're trying to figure out how do I make any semblance of logic uh, based upon them to make investments decisions specifically. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, if unemployment is going up, we know. That's bad. Yeah. I mean, we want everybody to be working. But on one hand, they say it's getting better. On the other hand, it's getting worse. So you're left holding the bag trying to figure out what to do with the information. I think one thing that we can conclude from this, whether it's because, you know, the, the amount of people who are able to work is going up, uh, meaning that we're just having more people getting to that age. Maybe mm-hmm. we had more than 187,000 people turn 18. I, yeah. I don't know the answer Could to be. that question. Could be. Uh, but I think at least anecdotally, we can say if unemployment is going up then that means that perhaps what the Fed has been doing with interest rates 
Remember, the, the Fed is raising interest rates mm-hmm. to cool inflation. And by raising interest rates, they're essentially stalling out the economy yeah. somewhat to cool inflation. Well, if unemployment's going up, then maybe it's working. Yeah, maybe it is. But here, I'll confuse you even more. So we have unemployment going up, but the and it says that it's gone up to its highest level since February of 2022. So 18 months-ish, somewhere in there, 14 months-ish. Yet the labor participation rate, remember, unemployment's up, but the labor participation rate rose to its highest level since February of 2020. So... I'm not sure I can wrap my head around the unemployment rate climbing while the labor participation rate is increasing. Sounds a lot like that who's on first skip. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I I can't say that I understand uh, all the logic behind that either. Again, the only thing that I'm drawing away from this is we've been struggling and trying, and the Fed has done 11 interest rate hikes to try and cool off of the economy. Um, If there's one takeaway is that maybe it's working and maybe the Fed rate hikes are coming to a slow stall or maybe even an end. I don't know the answer to the question, but what I do know is how can you have more people participating, uh, more jobs created, and yet still have unemployment going up? I don't You're the political guy. You tell me. I I don't don't know. I, I just know that the consensus is that this may induce the Fed to not raise rates that one more time this calendar year that people expected. I've read uh, an array of uh, commentators today saying that uh, these figures in compilation tell them that the chance the Fed will raise rates one more time, and that was kind of the takeaway from Jerome Powell's address in Wyoming a week or so ago, that we'll have one more rate hike this year, that they now think that the Fed will look at these numbers and say, know we're good for now and that they'll be in a holding pattern, some say even into the spring of 2024. And let's just say they're right, okay? And if the Fed is done raising rates, is there an investment vehicle that becomes more attractive, more stable, or something that you as a fiduciary, somebody who's legally obligated to look out for the best interest of your clients, is there a vehicle now that might be more appealing than it was before if the Fed is done raising rates. Yeah, the, the federal funds rate has an impact on all investments, but it has a very direct correlation to bonds. Okay. So bonds are inversely proportional to interest rates. And that may just sound like a bunch of gobbledygook, so let me explain what I mean by that. If you buy a bond, you're essentially buying an IOU from a company or from the United States government, for that matter. We just call them treasuries or mm-hmm. treasury bonds. But if a company wants to raise capital and they don't want to go to a bank, they can go to Bruce Hooley and say, will you loan us the money? And the way that that works is you get paid a coupon rate, which is the interest. They just call it something different. You get paid interest over a set period of time, at which point they will give you your loan back. So think of it as a like a balloon payment on a mortgage. Sure. So you give them 10 grand. They keep your 10 grand for 10 years. And then you they pay you an interest along the way and give you your 10 grand back at the end of 10 years. Well, the reason that as interest rates go up, we say that they're inversely proportional to bond rates is you don't have to hold that bond for 10 years. You could say after eight years, I'd like to get out of it. I'm going to go sell it on the open market. Well, if you're holding a bond that's paying a 5% coupon rate and now the new bonds are paying a 6% coupon rate because rates went up and you want to sell your short, 
well, then you can't sell it for what you paid for it. So the reason that that's important is if we're done with the interest rate hikes, that risk of increasing interest rates on your bond portfolio makes your bond portfolio more liquid. Now, why that's advantageous is a lot of people are looking at all these high interest rates and saying, well, bonds look pretty attractive because new bonds are paying a higher interest rate where in, in the past we were only get paying maybe 2 or 3%. Now we can get 5 6% of them. Yeah. Is that is that our old friend, the inverted yield curve that we've talked about before? Or uh, that is that has something a, different? That has an applicability, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. The problem is you say, well, who cares? If I'm happy with 5% and I hold the bond for the 10 years, then I don't have this risk. But very few people buy individual bonds. They're buying a fund of bonds. Okay. So now when you own a mutual fund of bonds, you have a fractional ownership in a bunch of bonds. You cannot control in a mutual fund what your neighbor does who's also invested in the same mutual fund. So he may, your neighbor may decide, I want to get out of this mutual fund. Well, what does the mutual fund have to do? It's got to sell the bonds. Mm -hmm. Well, you own a fractional ownership in all the bonds, so you end up absorbing a loss. So you may be looking at bonds and saying, well, the new ones are paying 6%. I'd be cool with 6%. I'm happy with that. But I can't, I don't have enough money to buy the individual bonds, so I'm going to buy a bond mutual fund, and I'm scared that if the Fed keeps on raising rates, I might actually still lose money even though bonds are at 6%. I'm kind of, I'm kind of darned if I do, darned if I don't. Well, if the Fed is done raising interest rates, then you can feel relatively comfortable that that bond is just going to return what it's going to return, and if they have to cash out early, no big deal because new bonds are paying the same as old bonds. Or even better yet, if the Fed were to lower interest rates and you owned bonds, a bond fund, well, now I can sell that thing at a premium. I can actually make more money off the bonds. Right. As I think about bonds, and again, to meet with Josh and his team, take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you at Aptus Wealth Management. Set up your appointment, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. They do service clients outside the area, uh, including, obviously, you know, obviously those in central Ohio, but if you're outside the area, they can, uh, they can uh, confer with you as well. Their firm physically is located very close to 270 and 23, just off route 750. As I think about bonds as an investment, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like these are vehicles that people move into when they want to reduce their risk so they have a more predictable rate of return. And you think about predictable, stable, um, if you're nearing retirement or in retirement and you want to count on a certain return, that would be an appealing trait of your investment as opposed to being involved in something volatile, unpredictable. When the Fed is raising interest rates, it would make the bond market, as you just described it, um, very uh, susceptible to fluctuation, which is the very definition of volatility. So, this might be a good thing for people who are on the cusp of retirement or in retirement. Absolutely. You know, there there used to be this old kind of tried and true um, uh, rule, if you want to call it that. Uh, it was called the rule of 100. Mm -hmm. And the rule of 100 stated that you should have essentially your age as a percentage in bonds. So as you're, when you're, mm. you know, you're investing and you're 20 years old, you can have a large exposure to the stock market. As you get older and older, you want to reduce volatility, and the way to do that would be to go to bonds. And that worked for the last 40 years or so until last year. Because if you think about it, over the last 40 years, since the 80s, we've done nothing but somewhat steadily reduce interest rates. We've had little blips here and there where mm -hmm. we've raised or lowered. But 
not like we're seeing now and not like we're seeing in the 80s. So if you held bonds last year, the stock market was down roughly 18%, negative 20 if you don't include dividends. And the bond market, the Lehman Brothers Aggregate Bond Index, which is what we kind of call the bond market, was down 13 So if you look at it, you go, okay, so let me get this straight. I'm trying to limit my volatility, so I don't want to be down 20 So I went 50-50, and I'm down 16 or 17 That doesn't sound like a lot of respite Mm-mm. from the volatility. Mm-mm. So, and this is so much true that if you're if you're sitting here listening, going, "Well, I have a 401k. I bet in your 401k there's target date funds, so you could be in the 2050 fund or the 2040 fund." And all that means is you decided I want to retire in 2040, so I'm just going to pick the 2040 fund. And what that fund family does for you, whether it's Vanguard or Fidelity or whomever, is they start to increase your exposure to bonds the closer and closer you get to that date. To reduce volatility, so God forbid the day I retire, the market doesn't pull back 15, 50%, I lose. Now, like I just said, that has not worked over the last 36 months. So if the Fed quits raising interest rates, well, obviously that's good for the economy because it means that we're not going to keep on raising interest rates. It's also very good for people who are nearing and or in retirement. Very good. That's uh, one of the things that you would need to know if you are in that situation because you don't want to be exposed to a great deal of volatility uh, when you reach that point, Josh and his team can help you uh, sector your investments so the balance is uh, perfect for you when, no matter what your life station is. Get a hold of them. Take advantage of the free consultation. Their number is 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. All right, to the inverted yield curve. That's uh, kind of a demonstration of a prevailing condition of the market that investors find unsettling, um, what will this perceived pause in interest rate hikes do, if anything, to reorder the inverted yield curve, where you get basically a higher return on a shorter-term investment, whereas the normal is a better return for a longer-term investment? Yeah, exactly right. So one would think that if I give Uh, somebody my money for 10 years, they're going to pay me a higher interest rate than if I gave it to them for one year. But when you're in an inverted yield curve scenario, that's not the case at all. And you don't have to look far to find this. Just go to a bank and say, I want to buy a two-year CD versus a one-year CD. And you'll quickly realize that I can get a higher interest rate on a one-year CD than I can on two. And the reason for that is because the overall economy and the bank, for that matter, in that instance, is unsure about the direction of interest rates. And if they keep on raising interest rates, then that could negatively affect them, at which point they don't want to honor that agreement for a long period of time. Now, that's detrimental to investors because investors want to be compensated for their uh, steadfastness. They Mm -hmm. want to be compensated for their willingness to go out a longer term. And they also have long-term goals. So if you're retiring, you'd like to know relatively what your income is going to look like for a long period of time. And when you can only get a six-month window of that, it seems like your life is very much in flux, at least your financial life. So if we stop raising interest rates or the Fed stops raising interest rates, it should add, it it will do two things. One, it will give the economy the understanding that the Fed believes that it has cooled down the economy enough to handle inflation for at least the short run. And two, it will give investors, banks, bonds, et cetera, the confidence to know now we can start playing a longer term game, which will be beneficial for investors without question. He's Josh Pick. I'm Bruce Hooley. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. It airs Friday night at 7. It replays on Saturdays at noon. Tell your friends about it. And also, you can join uh, Josh and me on Mondays for Money Monday on The Answer. 
He appears at 12.35 p.m. with me to talk about the latest news regarding the markets and investing and things of that nature. Okay, so I I periodically read about uh, a business or a hospital or even a city planning some big uh, capital investment, and they say they're going to be issuing bonds. You just said that a lot of people who buy bonds are buying a bond fund. They're buying a share of a bunch of different bonds. What's a situation uh, where an investor would be attracted to um, an individual bond for like a city or a hospital system or something expanding as opposed to what I would appear would be the the attractiveness of buying a bond fund is that when you do that, you're balancing your risk across a larger portion of just how each bond fares as opposed to just how one might fare. Yeah, so there's there's different types of bonds, obviously, and you can get funds for all of these or buy them individually, and there's different tax circumstances for each of them. So municipal bonds uh, you know, or even a bond issued by a city or a state might be exempt from city or state income taxes or maybe even federal income taxes. Okay. So there's an advantage there, and you'll see kind of a premium paid for that. So if you get a municipal bond fund, it won't pay as much interest typically as a corporate bond fund, for example. But to address the, the, the question about when would it make sense to buy individual bonds versus buying a bond fund? Mm-hmm. Well, one would be, do you have any knowledge in actually buying individual bond funds? And do you feel comfortable with the allocation that you're picking when you're buying these individual bonds? And how many can you buy? So if you're investing $5,000 and you go, well, there's a minimum on this bond investment of $5,000. Do you feel comfortable putting all your eggs in that one basket? Because we've been around long enough to see municipalities and to see companies default on their bonds. Yeah, that's what I wondered is like, you know, uh, it's possible that a a hospital system could go under or something catastrophic could happen to a city. And, you know, I assume that the return is promised but not guaranteed. Absolutely. And and look at 2008, 2009. I mean, GM bonds were not a good place to be. Obviously, you got hurt pretty bad. So the, the real reason, I think, if you've kind of exonerated yourself from the fact that I'm I'm not going to pick these myself, that's not my wheelhouse. I'm a doctor. I'm not a bond trader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go pick somebody else to do it. It really comes down to the amount of money that you're investing for your choices. There are two ways that you can invest in bonds if you don't want to pick the individual issues by yourself. One is a mutual fund. And a mutual fund is a fractional ownership. So what other investors inside that mutual fund do can have a detrimental or beneficial effect on you, but you cannot control their actions. Because as they're leaving, the bond fund manager is going to have to sell positions to cash them out. Yeah. There's another way to invest in bonds, though, and it's called through a separately managed account, or you'll hear the term SMA. So now we're throwing another acronym at you. There's (laughs) ETF and now there's SMA. SMAs are a different way to own bonds in that you go to the same money manager that it might be the same money manager that manages a bond fund. But once you reach a certain amount of capital, you can go to that same money manager and say, I want to own all the bonds that you're trading, but I want to actually own the bonds in my own account. So rather than logging on to Schwab and saying, I have the bond fund ABC, I actually see my individual holdings of bonds, and maybe I have 50 of them in there. So, okay, so cool. I got the diversification I wanted, but I also have a money manager that's trading those inside of my account. Now, that may sound like a subtle difference. What's the difference between a mutual fund doing it and then them doing it inside of my individual account? Well, once I've siloed my bonds inside of my own individual account, what my neighbor does has no bearing on me because they will just sell them out of his individual account. Mm -hmm. You say, well, why doesn't everybody do this? The minimums. Minimums are the problem. 
So when we start doing individual bond SMAs is on account sizes of a million dollars or more. So that's the unfortunate reality is we can eliminate all that interest rate risk, but we can't do it on small accounts. That's actually where I was going next. And I was wondering, um, you know, like, let's say for a, a hospital system uh, that's building a huge expansion and they have uh, people on their board of directors who may be very well uh, off financially and they're supporters of the hospital system. They believe in its mission. They believe in how it does things. They're serving on the board. Um, and they're probably in a position to invest a larger amount of money than the typical person striving toward retirement. Do they get a a better kind of rate of return promise to them based upon how much they are investing? Or is that something that would be considered or even is outside the bounds of the law because you, that would be considered like not not exactly insider trading, but would have some of the vestiges of insider trading? Yeah, I mean, if, if there are... Uh, on the board, they may have some limitations, uh, not the same as a stock because bonds kind of are what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the unfortunate reality is, you know, the more you invest, the better off you are, the higher rate of return you get in a lot of different vehicles. Bonds not might not be the case, but I mean, go to your bank and say you want to put two bucks in a savings account and then tell them you'll put 200,000 bucks in the savings account. And you're going to get two different rates. They'll take you in a nicer office to fill out the paperwork. It's unfortunate. You know, it's <laughs> kind of like you look at these uh, galas that everybody in Hollywood goes to and they give them a $5,000 gift bag. Yes. And they go, they're already making 20 million. You're going to give them a five. Why don't you give me a $5,000 gift bag? I, you know, but that's just the unfortunate reality of it. Now, I think the bigger issue here is if I wanted to invest in that hospital system, whether I believed in it or not, so let's say, you know, something that St. Jude, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people believe in St. Jude. Are you going to put 100% of your money in that bond? Of course not. No. Now, if you had $20 million and now 100000 let's say the minimum bond investment's 100000 well, you can do that if you have $20 million. If you have $102,000, you're probably not going to do it. So that's the real issue behind the, the individual issues. Very good. Uh, Josh Pick, the Aptus team, ready to meet with you for a no-obligation consultation. Set up your appointment by calling their office at 614-917-1040, or you can make your appointment online at Aptus Wealth. A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So we started this talking about what appears to be job numbers that may pause the Fed in continuing its uh, habit of raising interest rates to get inflation under control. I remember last week we talked about uh, very uh, attractive money market interest returns. Um, We've discussed the impact of a pause in Fed rates on bonds. Is there any impact that that will have on money markets, which apparently have been, uh, according to Yahoo Finance, uh, drawing in more cash than they have in any year in the past decade? Uh, Ultimately, it should not have a negative or tumultuous effect on money market accounts. But the reason that money market accounts have grown so rapidly is rewind the clock back two, three years ago. Money markets were paying zero. Mm -hmm. Savings accounts were paying 0.1, 0.15. Now you have savings accounts paying four point something. What money market accounts do is they invest in ultra short term bonds. So think of like seven day long bonds and they wow. just, they just do a ton of them. And when you have interest rates on bonds, bonds higher than what banks can effectively yield on their own, you end up with money market accounts that are now north of, I mean, Schwab, whom we clear through Schwab has a money market account right now over 5%. It's at 5.21 last I checked. So you can get very attractive rates. And I think the one thing that we need to address is what if the the Fed goes the other direction? What are the alternatives that we can invest in that would still get us this guaranteed rate? And 
you know, bonds and money markets and savings accounts are not the only fixed instruments out there. There are fixed instruments that are essentially a proxy for investing in those same things, but provide guarantees as long as you're willing to lock up the money for a period of time to allow that investor to make sure that they can make a profit, quite frankly. So you can add guarantees to these same investments with the same investments with high rates of return. Yeah, and it all depends on where you are uh, on this continuum as you progress toward retirement. I mean, a, um, a, a more modest return than you could get uh, in terms of, say, that stock market annual return that you were thrilled about back when times were good and the cost of borrowing money was essentially nothing. Uh, those 8 10% returns, you might not be in a situation now as you progress toward retirement where those returns are possible given market conditions and the risk that you would run in order to chase those may not be feasible for you. That's the one thing that you will gain, and there are many that you will gain, by having a fiduciary like Josh and the Aptus team taking care of your investments for you. You will understand what the plan is, what the blueprint is. You will fully understand it. My wife and I do. We sat with Josh and the team. We became clients. We're very happy with the track that they have us on. Uh, understanding it gives you peace of mind. It allows you to not have those sleepless nights. Set up your consultation, 614-917-1040, or make your appointment online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. Thanks for giving us your time today. Tell your friends about the show. We'd love to have you share our content with them. As you get wiser when it comes to your investments and working toward financial independence later on in life, Josh and the Aptus team are fiduciaries. That means they are legally obligated to do what is best for you. And you can have that conversation with them about what that looks like for your investments by taking advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. You can set it up by calling their office, 614-917-1040. Their office is located in Lewis Center. It's just off Route 750. Very easy to get to, not far from 23 and 270. So make your appointment either by the phone, 614-917-1040, or you can also make it online. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. If you're getting into the show in the middle and you'd like to hear the beginning of the show, The show will replay tomorrow starting at noon. And Josh joins me every Monday, 1235 p.m. for Money Monday. It's a segment we do together each week to keep you abreast of the latest developments out there in the financial markets. 1235 p.m. every Monday for Money Monday on 989 The Answer. Okay, so I've seen some things recently, and we have talked a lot on this show about Roth IRAs. And I guess I was unaware that you can be ineligible for an IRA if uh, for a Roth IRA, if you make more than $300,000 a year. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, a Roth IRA, let's just briefly tell people why a Roth IRA might be more advantageous to people than a regular IRA. Yes, two types of IRAs. Uh, start with the traditional because it, it's pertinent to this conversation. A traditional IRA is much like your 401k. You put in money pre-tax. So you get a tax deduction today. The money grows tax-deferred, but every dollar you pull out in the future will be taxable. A Roth IRA, on the other hand, you put on you put in after-tax dollars. All the money grows tax-deferred, but every nickel you pull out is tax-free. So particularly for people who have kind of a long runway, there can be huge advantages in taxation from being able to do a Roth. But you're absolutely right. It's not exactly 300000 and it's different for single versus married filing jointly filers. But there is an income limitation on contributions to a Roth IRA. We're not talking about 
Roth IRA conversions, but contributions. When you can put in that 6500 bucks a year or 7500 depending on your age, you can only make a certain amount of money or you can't do it. Okay, so if I caught that right, with a traditional IRA, you are paying the taxes on the withdrawals when you pull the money out. Correct. And with a Roth IRA, you're paying the taxes up front. When you draw the money out, it's not taxable because it's already been taxed. Correct. Okay, so I guess the theory behind capping those who could have uh, or contribute to a Roth IRA would be that you're wealthy, you're making over $300,000 a year, and they don't want you to delay your tax bill. Yeah, so much so it's very clear because even a traditional IRA where you can get to contribute and write off the taxes, Mm -hmm. you don't get to do that when you make too much money too, Mm. unless your employer does not have a 401k, in which case then they allow you to go back and do it. So the moral of the story here is company-sponsored plans, really no limitation, but when you get beyond that, if you want to come up with tax-favorable ways to invest and you make a good high income, you can't do it anymore. Okay, so when Sherry and I sat for our consultation with you guys and we became clients at Aptus, one of the things that really impressed us was your knowledge of the tax implications of every decision that people make regarding their investments. And that obviously enters into this conversation regarding IRA versus Roth IRA. And back to my original question about the cap on people who can contribute to a Roth IRA. Um, I know obviously it goes without saying that everything you guys do is legal and above board there, but I have seen some things on social media about people offering workarounds on these IRA or these Roth IRA limitations. Um, are these people to stay away from at all costs, or is there such a thing as a, a legitimate workaround or backdoor way to get into a Roth? Yeah, they creatively have named it the Backdoor Roth IRA. Okay. Uh, Well, at least they're putting it out there as to what they're doing. Yeah, and it's completely legal. It's completely fine. I'll explain the mechanics of it, but I think what people overlook is there are some caveats. So the mechanics of it are this. I can put money – I can't put money into a Roth IRA because I make too much money. Okay. I can put money into a traditional IRA, but I don't get the tax benefits for doing so. So if I make too much money, I don't get to write off the contribution to my traditional IRA. I would have a basis. Every dollar that I gain inside of that traditional IRA would then be taxed when I withdraw it, but Mm -hmm. I at least get tax deferral. So, okay, there's a benefit there. But there's no income limitation on a Roth conversion. Okay. So I can't do a Roth IRA, but what I can do is I can do a traditional IRA and then the next day convert the darn thing to a Roth. Which is the same thing, the same way to get there, right? Yeah. So we call this a backdoor Roth IRA. So yes, there is a way to get in a Roth, even though you make too much money. Okay, so I'm surprised that's available because if there's a reason to keep people from contributing to a Roth IRA because their income level is above a certain point, why would it be so easy as to open a conventional IRA and convert it to a Roth. I would think that would be a door that would be closed and locked tight. If there's one thing we've learned uh, from, I've learned from listening to your show, it's that uh, Washington always makes very logical decisions. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, joking, obviously it doesn't have to make sense. It's just the laws, but I think, you know, where people get hurt is they don't read the, they, they read that much and they go, Eureka, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. But there are caveats. 
And one of the caveats that everybody needs to pay attention to is something called the pro rata rule. And pro rata just means if I have, so let's take that same scenario. I want to put the money into a non-deductible traditional IRA and then immediately convert it to a Roth. But I also have another million dollar IRA that I, I had a 401k. I rolled it over to an IRA and I'm, it's just been growing and I'm leaving that alone. They aggregate all of your IRAs together. You're talking about IRS now or who are you talking about? They. The IRS. Okay. They aggregate them all together and they say, okay, you converted a $6,000 IRA, which was non-deductible. That's your contribution was non-deductible. So it doesn't cost you any taxes to do this. But as a percentage of the total, that's only 0.6% of your total assets. So only po- that means 99.4% is taxable when you do the Roth conversion because we aggregated all your accounts together. Ooh. So you think I pulled this off. And then you get a 1099 at the end of the year that says, actually, no, you owe taxes on about $6,000 extra. So you have to be careful with this. Now, there's end arounds around that yeah, because they don't aggregate or pro rata 401ks. So what you do, <laughs> if you want to be clever, you say, I want to manage my own money in my IRA, but I also want to do this Roth conversion thing. So I'm going to transfer my money into my 401k for a day, then transfer it back out when I'm done. And now I didn't, when I did it, I didn't have any of the other IRAs. It was all my 401k. Now that's a lot of extra work and it's very cumbersome for one $6,000 contribution. But I think the point here is anecdotally, we hear a lot of things and I'm included in this. I, I have Instagram and I watch Instagram reels and they're, they're enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, Boy, they're insidious, man. They'll eat your day right up. Oh, great way to waste a day. Yeah. Uh, terrible way to waste a day actually, uh, which is why I put a time limit on my own phone like I'm a child. Yeah. But nevertheless, they give you part of the information and ignore all the gotchas. And then you go exercise the part of the information you know, and you get burned with a gotcha. And I, I see this consistently as it relates to tax code, as it relates to investing, as it relates to everything. You'll get 90% of the information, bank on it, and the 10% what's, is what bites you. Uh, set up your consultation with Josh and the team to not get taken in by something that would be a lot of, you know, paperwork mumbo jumbo that wouldn't really benefit you. Some of this stuff may really benefit you, and they'll be able to tell you whether it is worth going through and jumping through all these hoops or not. 614-917-1040 is their number at the office to set up your free no-obligation consultation. 614-917-1040 or at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So, I have an inherent skepticism on things like this where your max contribution is, as you said, 6000 Is this something that is put out as a way to do something that seems blocked? So kind of we've talked before about FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah. Hey, we've got a way around this, and you're really missing out if you don't take this way around it. People would be... At least my inherent skepticism tells me people would be trying to get people to do this, and it's doable and it's legal, but that the people who would really benefit in some way would be the people trying to get you to do it, um, but maybe not, because it all would, could all be done by your own financial advisor. Yeah. Why, yeah. why are people selling this idea? It must work for somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great strategy, and it works for a lot of people. Matter of fact, I've done it in the past myself. Okay. Um, so I, I I don't think it's a terrible strategy. I just think that when we kind of carte blanche say this is a strategy that will apply to the masses and everybody should do it, we're not necessarily covering all of the fiduciary elements of this, meaning uh, 
you know, did I un- did I turn over every stone and make sure that you're not going to get burnt by this? And usually the people that are recommending it are, quite frankly, getting clicks and not actually providing the end-all advice, and they're not on the hook for the advice. Because if you're – listen, if you don't have any sort of licensure or any ability to recommend services or investments to clients, you can say whatever you want. You don't have any sort of fiduciary yeah. liability yeah. to do it, and you can't get punished by the SEC. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, you hit on it there, the clicks. And that might be a lot of it is the clicks, because I don't understand all the monetization of clicks, but there's no doubt that that is out there. Okay, uh, Josh and his team are fiduciaries. They'll do what's legally obligated. Uh, they're they're required to do what's legally ob- – they're legally obligated, rather, to do what is best for you, and they will always, of course, uh, be in compliance with uh, all the financial laws and regulations that are out there, uh, and certainly you do your very, very best to keep people from making the big mistakes, which is why I've counseled people all along, before you make any big expenditure or any big thing, always get a hold of your fiduciary and make sure that they understand what you're doing because they might be able to tell you uh, a better way to do it. came across a story this week about a topic we've discussed a lot, Social Security distributions and when to take them, and I saw a statement that I had not seen uh, as boldly stated before, they claim it is a mistake for people to take Social Security at age 62, and they advocate waiting until age 70 because they say your benefits go up 8% each year. And they didn't factor in, you know, catastrophic health issues or whatever if you know you have a disease. But um, that is, in the eyes of this particular uh, study, a mistake that people make in retirement is taking Social Security as soon as they can take it. Well, I don't necessarily agree that it's always a bad idea to wait and take it until 70 versus 62. I mean, one of the reasons being exactly what you just said, sometimes, uh, you know, let's say a client walks in, they say, nobody in my family has ever lived past the age of 64. Mm-hmm. Why would you wait until you're 66 to start collecting your Social Security? Um, and there are other reasons why you may want to wait that aren't just to do with cash flow. For example, you may say, I want to take Social Security at 62, but I plan on continuing to work, and now the income offset would wreak havoc on my Social Security benefit. But I think what the the spirit of that, um, of that article probably says is when you're thinking about cash flow and you're thinking about longevity insurance or the, the prospect of running out of money in the long run, not only am I going to get a higher dollar amount for the rest of my life, but all of my inflation adjustments, which have been quite significant over the last few years – will be attributed to that higher dollar amount. So if we're thinking about cash flow in the long run... Great point, great point. We're great. However, the break-even point doesn't happen until your early 80s. So if you... And what I mean by that is if, I, if, I, if I'm going to get $2,000 today at 62 and I'm going to get you know, some odd percentage more than that the longer mm-hmm. I wait, well, then I'm foregoing the money I got at 62. If you kind of take those lines and you intersect them, kind of like the should I lease or buy a car... There is an intersection point, mm-hmm. and that intersection point doesn't happen until your early 80s. So if, if you don't plan on having at least an average life expectancy to past average life expectancy, you're leaving money on the table by collecting late. Yeah, and two, you, can, you have to pay taxes on your Social Security given what your income is. You know, And so if you're – I would think most people are more likely to make less at age 70 than they are at 62. They're probably still a part of the workforce. At 62. But check with Josh and his team. 614-917-1040. Your free consultation awaits you at Aptus Wealth Management. Again, located just off Route 750 in Lewis Center. 614-917-1040. Their web address to make your appointment for that consultation is aptuswealth.com. A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com.
com. All right, another mistake, uh, supposedly in quotation marks, is withdrawing from your 401k before your required minimum distributions kick in. As I understand it, you can take withdrawals from your 401k at 59 and a half, I think. But we've talked before about the power of compound interest and compound, you know, letting your money work for you for a longer period of time. So what do you think of their caution that uh, you should not withdraw from your 401k before your required minimum distributions kick in? Uh, Unfortunately, I disagree with that in many instances. Uh, And the reason for that is because of taxes. Mm -hmm. So minimum required distributions, they just changed it. It used to be 70 and a half. You had to start taking money out of your IRAs whether you wanted to or not. And the reason for that is the IRS at some point, the government wants their money. Mm -hmm. And you've been kicking the can on taxes for a really long time. With the the passing of the Secure Act 1.0, which was just called the Secure Act at the time, it went to 72. And now the Secure Act 2.0 is kicking that can between 73 and 75 based upon your birth uh, year. So to say I'm going to wait until I'm 75 to use any of this money, um, why? I mean, you you saved this money your entire life so that you could enjoy your life. Mm -hmm. Why wait until you're 75 years old to start enjoying your life and your money? But that's just kind of an altruistic reason about I want to, you know, there's no luggage racks on Hertz's. I want to enjoy the money while I'm here, right? And I'm not going to, the joke in our office is always anytime somebody comes in and says, I don't want to buy a Corvette today because I want to leave money to my kids. I always say, you know what they're going to buy? with your money when you're dead, a Corvette, (laughs) a Corvette. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not suggesting that people don't want to try and leave a legacy, uh, but let's be realistic about, about enjoying our own life as well. But there are other reasons. If you say, I do want to leave that legacy. There are other reasons to take money out prior to minimum required distributions. Let's say you're one of the fortunate people. And I had a scenario of this, this week where they had three plus million dollars in a traditional IRA and they're not even 60 yet. Good for them. Great for them. But by the time they're 75 years old, they're going to have many, many, many more millions than that. And when we forecasted their minimum required distributions, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. So at some point when they're 75, they're going to have to pay taxes on hundreds of thousands of dollars that they don't want to. First world problem. Mm -hmm. But could that cause other issues with the income that they're receiving? Could that cause other issues as it relates to their Medicare premium payment? Could that cause other issues? Of course. So if we could start taking that out, trickling it out over time, or converting it to Roth IRAs, could we slow that problem? Yes. So why wait? There are reasons not to wait. Yeah, and this points out the wisdom that I think is um, really, you just forfeit it if you don't uh, avail yourself of the expertise of Josh and the Aptus team. That's what uh, totally impressed my wife and I. One of the many aspects of our conversation with them, it's why we're Aptus clients, is you get these kinds of, uh, you know, say this, this kind of sage advice so that you don't just say, well, I read it on the Internet. It must be true. 614-917-1040 to get with Josh and his team at Aptus. All right. Here's another one. They caution against taking from a Roth IRA before exhausting your other options. This, I assume, also would be tax related. It is. And conceptually, I agree with that. So if you go to any financial planning software, they're always going to exhaust your traditional IRAs before you get to your Roths for the exact reason. I would actually say this is somewhat conflicting with what we just talked about, where they said you should wait until you're 75 before you start taking your traditional IRAs. Now they're saying you shouldn't touch your Roths until you've exhausted your traditionals. Well, I guess we shouldn't touch our Roths until we're 10 years past dead based upon (laughs) that, right? So that doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, However, Roth IRAs are the single best 
tax vehicle, you know, tax haven of an investment vehicle in the tax code. So if you know that that money is going to be tax free, you would want that pot of money to be as big as possible before you take it. I agree with that 100 percent. However, it also is tax free. So if you're looking at, let's say, for example, um, the more money you make, the more you pay for Medicare. Most people don't know that, but there's five or six different tiers of Medicare premium payments, and it's based upon your income. So if theoretically we were we needed an extra five grand, but if we take it, it's going to jack our Medicare up by a hundred bucks a month. There could be a logical sense in saying I'm going to take that money from my Roth so that it doesn't jack up my Medicare premiums. So there are certain reasons why you might want to access it before the last pot of money. But in general, I agree. Okay, so that's what we want to do is have people avoid making big mistakes in retirement. And I get it. If you're sitting there and you haven't started and you feel like, oh, wow, you know, I should have started 10 years ago. uh, Don't let this be like so many people's approach to going to the dentist. I haven't been in two, three years. I'm ashamed to go. They'll get on my case about not going. Uh, This is a problem that will not go away. If you haven't started a retirement plan, if you haven't looked at your investments in a long time, if you're nervous about what you'll find when you look, uh, all those things pretty common. There's nothing that Josh is going to encounter when he sits with you for a consultation that he hasn't encountered already. And believe me, it's not an experience where you get beat up. It is, it's an experience you walk away from with more knowledge. Knowledge is power. And for us, it was peace of mind. So I would uh, highly advocate that you sit for that consultation at Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, not far from 270 and 23-614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. We're in an era here where we've had these recession fears for a long, long time. And now uh, there was an inherent skepticism that the Fed could raise interest rates just the right amount, the Goldilocks amount, and avoid a recession. We had a blip of two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, technical recession, but not a prolonged recession. Um, is there anything inherent about the period of time that we're in, I don't know, pandemic related or anything that made this period of inflation control and interest rate hikes and all those things more difficult to predict what would happen than previous eras? We went through a period of super high inflation in the eighties and they got it under control by raising interest rates. There was no pandemic in the middle of that. Um, is there anything now that kind of causes us to be uncertain about where we were headed or interest rate hikes always bring down inflation, but drive up unemployment and blah, blah, blah. Are the factors rock solid that we should be able to predict what's coming? We we just may not have the stomach to experience it. That's a big question. Yeah. Well, Um, I think, you know, if we look back on all of these types of issues where we've had uh, out of control inflation, even including the seventies and eighties, we're always late. So being able to predict it has mm-hmm. never been easy, and it's not easy now. I don't think we could ignore that we have a much more global economy now than we did back in 1970 and 1980. True. So that certainly adds a extra layer to it. I mean, we saw this during the pandemic. I mean, really what caused inflation? Well, it was printing of money. We can't mm-hmm. ignore that. It was you know our own economic issues within our country, but it was also the... Uh, supply chain issues from overseas, which our reliance upon other countries for many goods and services is far higher today than it was back in 1970, 1980. Mm -hmm. That said, I think as we look at uh, how it's being covered, we cannot ignore 
the polarity that exists both in politics, which is always pretty polarizing. It has been forever, but I don't think I am speaking out of turn by saying the polarity as it relates to the, the, the uh, political environment today is far greater than before. And is that because of the actual political environment is the recession fears greater today than they were before? Or are we being told over and over and over again by a polarized news outlet that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Never mind. Don't look. Everything's great. Everything's great. And again, it's about the clicks. So to answer your question, I think that the severity of the topic is covered so much that we have more fear, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that it's not real. And it doesn't mean that we don't have extra issues to face. And I think a lot of that stems from uh, the global economy issue. Yeah. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, we printed a bunch of money during the pandemic. Um, the one thing that's new in the pandemic that was not the case in the 1980s as we shut down not just the American economy, but the global economy. And we paid people not to go to work. And now that money is kind of filtering its way through and how it all shakes out. There's some degree of uncertainty, but what I'm not uncertain about is that I entirely trust Josh and his team at Aptus to be on top of the latest developments and to foresee what is coming down the road. That is what they are legally obligated to do as fiduciaries. My wife and I are clients. We took advantage of the free consultation, and we're really, really impressed with what we heard. Give yourself a chance to be impressed as well. 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com. A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, located in Lewis Center. Josh, thanks for your time today. We look forward to talking to you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Bruce. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.